Good morning. For those who may be guests of ours today, my name is Rick Swing. I'm the executive pastor here. Pastor Kenneth was down at the beach all week, all right? Now, I know at first that's kind of saying, well, he's out there relaxing, but he was doing a, a student camp, and God blessed in so many ways at that camp. I think Kenneth was telling me there was over 30 kids who got saved. He had an opportunity to baptize some of those kids in the ocean. How cool is that? And uh, so this morning, I told him that I would fill in for him and preach this morning. So if you're a guest of ours today, first of all, thank you for being here. Next week, Kenneth will be back in the pulpit and uh, continue his series on world changers. I will say, too, that if you're a guest, we have these things called connect cards. They're in your worship guide. If you didn't get a worship guide, there's some at the information desk. But if you'd fill that out, and after the service, you can put those in the offering place that come by, or you can take it out to the information desk, and we have a gift for you. It's a free trip to Hawaii, so you may want to take advantage of that. And uh, no, I'm just kidding. All right, don't take it literally. Um, but we do have a gift for you out there, and uh, we encourage you to do that, and uh, we're thankful that you are here. So this is Sunday, right? Sunday. So Friday, <clears throat> we had a chance to marry off our last child. So uh, we have three kids. Uh, Josh was married about five years ago. Our daughter Danielle got married last summer, and then I was totally broke after that one. And then this past Friday, they did a Friday wedding. Uh, Jordan, uh, our middle child who plays professional basketball overseas, he, uh, he got married to the love of his life named Carly. And I want you to know 450 of their favorite and best friends, you know, kind of showed up for this thing. And it was, and listen, it was a riot. It was so much fun. And I'll, I'll never forget this as long as I live. I don't know why I'm sharing this with you, but it's just family stuff and most of y'all know me. So, but we, we, I always pray with the, the bride and, and groom and the, and the wedding party before we actually go out, right? So it's like pregame, you know, let's, let's, okay, let's pray. Let's, we know why we're doing this. This is glorify God and all those kind of things. So I, I met with the, the bride and, and her 13 attendants and, and, and we're in this room and it's hot. And, and of course she's been doing makeup and all just trying to, you know, cause it was hot. And, and I did this prayer and I said, man, I gotta go. I gotta go upstairs and meet with all Jordan's folks. You know, all the guys. So uh, the squad is what he called them. So I go upstairs into this room, and there's, there's his 13, right? And these are all guys who played basketball with, with most of them, all played basketball with Jordan, whether in high school or college or even, uh, even when there was someone there who was from overseas who had played with him on a team overseas. So they're all up in this room. And I look at them, and, you know, I usually I just go up and gather them together, and we hold hands, you know, in the middle. We're just kind of like this, and I'll say, you know, I'll say a prayer, and then, then we go. I just couldn't do it. I, I had to be coached for just a second. So I get in the room, and they're filming. And after this was over with, the, the guy who was filming said, I've never seen anything like this before in my life. I mean, it was the greatest pep talk, pregame pep talk in the history of mankind. I mean, we were so fired up, and they, got, they started high-fiving, chest-bumping. I mean, let's get after it, you know, let's go, it's game. And we had the best time. And, uh, but I'm exhausted, so perfectly, I won't fall asleep. If you don't fall asleep, I won't fall asleep today, all right? Is, that, is it a deal? Amen. Praise God. All right. In your Bibles, I want you to turn to Romans chapter 8, and that's where we'll be today. I've entitled this sermon, It's All Good. You ever heard that term from your, from your kids? Yeah, I know. I'm going to write a book one day. And it's going to be called, It's All Good, and it's going to have just one page in it, Okay. Because we'd be at, at dinner table with our kids when they were growing up. And I said, so how was your day? How, how was school today? It was good. So well, how was basketball practice? Oh, it was good. 
So how'd it feel when your, when your, when your girlfriend dumped you today? Oh, it was good, you know? <laughs> That's their only, it was good. It's all good. And so I begin to think about, I've, I've been thinking about this for several months now, and we behind the scenes as staff members, we often, we meet with many of y'all and folks that, that sometimes don't even come to church here who are going through the hardest and most difficult times in their life. They've lost jobs. They've lost loved ones. They've had a spouse walk out the door. They've had illness and sickness and cancer and disease. And, and, and they're, 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 they're clinging to something. Give me some hope. And they'll come and we'll talk. And, and this is what this is all about today. I don't know what you're going through. I do know what some of you are going through because you come to the office and we talk. But I want you to know that it is all good. Somehow, some way, it is all good, not because of who we are, but because of who is in us, in the person of Christ. And we're going to unravel this today. But I want to start off with a testimony. And um, last week I had somebody who came up to me here in the church who I've known for how many years I've been here? 11 years. And... Thank you for that. <laughs> and, uh, and he says, Rick, I got to tell you something. I said, yeah. He says, man, I got to tell you what, what just happened to me. And it was God working this miracle in their life and being patient. And I want to read this to you, okay? And it had to do with a job. And us men, man, it's a big deal to have a job, to have purpose in our life going forward. So this is what he said. He says, thanks so much for wanting to share my story of how our Lord and Savior is so real and how he answers our prayers on his timing. I want everyone to know he truly loves and takes care of his children. And I haven't looked across the sign, but I think I, I, he is in this room today. He said, I lost my job three years ago due to my contract not being renewed after 21 years as an on-site engineer. God was way out in front of me as always. My current company gave me four months of severance. This was the very first time that they had offered this to employees. See, God was already beginning to look out for him. On my fourth month, I landed a new job. I took a big pay cut and was not sure if I could provide for the family. We cut way back on everything, even took my children out of Christian school. This was very hard, but God had a plan. God was refining me during this whole process. The first year with, with my new company, there was a lot of training and learning about telecom net, networks. On my first one-on-one -on -one with my direct manager, he had informed me that he wanted to pay me 5000 less than I received. That's a great welcome, isn't it? Hey, welcome to the company. By the way, we're overpaying you. This was very hard for me to hear. I had over 28 years of experience. As I began, to, as I began working project work and moving to new technology, the company was working me 12 to 14 hours a day. I was also on call every other week. Since I was an exempt employee, I did not get any compensation for overtime or on-call pay. I would work 12 to 14 hours a day, and then when I got home, I would have to log back in and do more work on many nights. In March of this year, I worked 58 hours in one weekend, and then I'd even get a comp day off. I never got to see my family. Dad was always working. It was a real burden for me. And we never get this time back with our children and families. So, me and the family got on our knees and started praying, as well as my Westwood family, asking God to remove me from this place and provide a better company to work for that does not have overtime, on call, better wages, and better benefits. We'd all like that, wouldn't we? 
Our God is good. Once this started, my Bible reading and devotionals was trust in him. He is the provider. He will give you peace and so many other wonderful verses during this time. Prayer time and reading God's word helped me to maintain. It was so sweet. I looked forward to seeing what God had for me each day in the midst of going through the difficult time. After many phone interviews, multiple company on-site interviews, no new job. I don't have to tell you about one company. He says, I do have to tell you about one company I interviewed with. I thought I had the job, but I did not have enough experience with their Wi-Fi network, so I didn't get the job. One week later, this company had to downsize and shut the plant down. Christ Jesus is so amazing. He takes care of his children. He was looking after him. On June 25th, of 2019, I get a call from an HR person that had found me on LinkedIn. By the way, I'm on LinkedIn, and anybody who can find you on LinkedIn, I mean, they're really looking. There's zillions of people on there. She wanted to do a phone interview on Wednesday, and after the phone interview, I got to go on-site to an on-site interview that Thursday, and on Friday, all in one week, on Friday, they offered me the job. When they presented the offer, it was more salary, a bonus at the end of the year, and a signing bonus. Also, due to my experience, they usually only give two weeks of vacation, but they offered me three weeks. Our God is good, isn't he? It's good. The benefits are wonderful, and I'll be saving monthly, and this will be like getting a huge raise. I was overwhelmed. Our God has met and exceeded it all. I just want everyone to know that Christ Jesus is for real. He loves us unconditionally. He provides for us. I am living proof. Trust, please trust him today. If you don't know Jesus today, or you're one of those who kind of knows who Jesus is, but you've never truly given your heart to him, I want you to know there's a reason why we give our heart to Jesus. He loves you. He's going to take care of us. He gives us eternal life. I want you to turn to the book of Romans chapter 8. We'll be dealing with verse 28 and then through the end of the chapter is what we'll be doing. And again, the, the title of the sermon is, It's All Good. And I'll get to that verse here in a second. I've only got two goals this morning. The first one is to look at that Romans 8, 28 and just kind of take some words out of it, make sure we understand exactly what Paul was writing about. And the other part of this goal this morning is the how. You know, how is this supposed to function in my life? What am I supposed to do with the circumstances I find myself in? And really, how can I trust that what I read is going to be true in my life? Here's a little background about this. Paul's conversion on the, on the Damascus Road, we find in the New Testament, took place in A.D. 34. To his martyr death, which was in A.D. 68, that was 34 years that Paul had a ministry. Paul planted churches during three different mission, missionary journeys that spanned most of Eastern Europe. He wrote 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament, many of it which were written while imprisoned, and he died for what he believed in. That was, in Lord, that was his Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Kenneth shared this last week, but I think it's good because you may not have been here. So I'm going to read this passage of Scripture about Paul. Paul writes this about himself in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and this is what he says. He says, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? 
so am I. Are they servants of Christ? He says, I am even more of a servant than Christ. I have worked much harder, been imprisoned more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, dangers from bandits, danger from my fellow Jews, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the country, danger at sea, and danger from false believers. In other words, Paul was always in danger, right? I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all these churches that I've planted. Who is weak and I don't feel weak? Who is led into sin and I don't inwardly burn? And then in chapter 12, he sums all these words up with this, he says, which is amazing. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, it is then that I am strong. I mean, this is a guy whose life was in danger all the time. He was whipped for what he believed in. He was stoned for what he believed in. He was shipwrecked for what he believed in. And he says, in my weakness, it's then I'm made strong. See, Paul was not a complex man. He was a driven man who understood God's purpose for his life and all that God wanted to do through that. By the way, God has a purpose for every single one of our lives. And God wants to do something with your life that's bigger than you. I mean, I had the joy of marrying Jordan and Carly. And testimony, during the rehearsal dinner, people came up and started giving testimonies of both of these. And some of this, I didn't even have a clue about the impact that they had had on other people's lives around the world. That's what God wants to do. He did that for Paul. He wants to do that for us. So turn to Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Paul is writing this to the church in Rome that he did not start But by the time he writes this letter to the church in Rome, it's already, this church is already famous for its faith. In chapter one, Paul writes in his greetings, he says that their faith is being reported in all the world. Now, theologians believe that Paul wrote the book of Romans to provide a full exposition of the gospel that would be a foundation for the believers in Rome to help and evangelize Eastern the West, I'm sorry, the Western part of Europe, which he had not gotten to. He wanted to go into Spain and that parts of, of Europe. So Rome was gonna be this kind of hub, if you will, in which he would go to and come from. And he wanted the people in Rome, the Christians in Rome, to go with him. Throughout the book of Romans, Paul takes us on this journey, revealing to the reader that we are all sinners, totally separated from God, and the consequences of that separation was gonna be death. 
But because of God's faithfulness and his love for you and me, he sent his son into this world to do one thing. And that was to die in our place and to give us, give us each the opportunity to confess our sin and believe in our hearts that Jesus is who he says he is, our Lord and Savior. Now chapter 8 is part of that whole story of the book of Romans. By the way, my grandfather on his deathbed, my grandfather was a great man of God. I mean, I, mean, I got to see Corey Tim Boone in his home, uh, Billy Graham in his home. He loved Jesus and uh, he loved God. And he was a great man. He told me this on his deathbed. I asked him, I said, I said, Grandpa, if you had one book of the Bible and you were on a deserted island, you only had one book to take with you, which one would it be? He said, Romans. He says, Rick, you devour that book. It's a great book. So here in the middle of this chapter of chapter eight, Paul writes these words in verse 28. He says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. Okay, now listen. Let's remember who's writing this. It's the Apostle Paul. And he says, and we know that in all things, this is the same guy who was telling us that he had been beaten with rods, he had been stoned, he had been whipped, he was close to death, he was shipwrecked, hungry, thirsty, cold, naked, and more. This man, Paul, said all those things were good. It's amazing, isn't it? All those things were good. Paul is talking to fellow believers, so he is talking to us. In verse 12, he calls them brothers and sisters. In verse 17, like I already shared, he calls us heirs and co-heirs with Christ. So in verse 28, Paul starts with this intimate picture of knowledge. When he says, and we know that in all things. That word know there in the scripture is the same Greek word that Jesus uses in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, 8, where he says, do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. It's an intimate and factual knowledge that one gets through experience. The believers in Rome had this intimate knowledge of God's grace in their life. If you claim to know Jesus today, there should be this intimate knowledge within you about God's grace. Now, it's this kind of knowledge. It's, I, I, you moms, you moms in here, you have a special sense, okay? I'm just, it's weird, okay? It's a little weird. But we'll be sitting at the kitchen table when our kids were little, and Linda all of a sudden would say, I, I know what you did at school today. And my, my kids would kind of look at mom like, I'm, I'm clueless, right? I'm clueless. And Lynn goes, yeah, I know what you, I know, I know what you did in, in, in math class today. And Jordan would go, or Josh would go, uh, how do you know that, Mom? And Mom would go, I just know. <laughs> and Mom would then say, and I always know. <laughs> right, moms? Yeah. You just know. You know your kids. You can look in their little beady eyes and you can go, I know. My dad, he would just spank me when he got home. He just... He said, I know you did something today. Just go ahead and get it out of the way. And uh, we'll just, we'll go. They know. There's this intimate gut feeling that they just know. And that's the kind of know that we're talking about here. We just know because of the experience along the way. We know. And he says, in all things in that verse. It literally means all things. If you look it up in the Greek, it'll say, all things. The good, the bad, and even the tragic. It's all things. 
works together for our good or our benefit. As one who loves God and has been called by God to be, his, be the, a child of his, God will use every situation, I want you to hear me, God will use every situation in your life to conform you to be more like Jesus. I don't know if that's in my notes or your notes, but it's a great one. As one who loves God and has been called by God to be a child of his, God will use every situation in your life to conform you to be more like Jesus. You know what that looked like in my household growing up? It's called a belt. My dad was, was set on making sure that his kids knew right from wrong. That they had this maturity about them, that they had this character about them, that they were faithful and loyal along the way. My dad wanted to conform us to that image of what was so important, this image of Christ, and so there was discipline in our home for that to happen, and I want you to know, it's the same way in our faith. God will use all these things in our lives to do one thing as a believer, is to conform you to this image of who Jesus Christ is. And by the way, that will take place all your life until you see him face to face. Philippians, Paul writes in Philippians 1, he says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And Jesus' half-brother James writes this in his book in chapter 1. He says, consider it all joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Joy! Because you know, there's that word again, you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work, and I love this part, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. In other words, as you go through these things in life, and if you allow God to mold you into the image of Christ, you will be more mature and complete, lacking in nothing. It's a promise. This does not mean that God has caused all things. Everybody hear me? Sometimes stupid does, right? Stupid is, stupid does. Sometimes it's just us. We just make poor choices along the way. Satan didn't have to anything to do with it. God didn't have anything to do with it. It was all on me, right? God doesn't cause all these things. We have cancer and death and tragedy in our lives because sin exists in our world and God does not cause sin. In fact, he has destroyed sin. But God will and can use all these things to mold us like clay. And then it goes on in that verse to say, for those who love him. That word love means to love dearly. It's the same love that Jesus uses in Matthew 22, verse 37, when he says this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. That's the kind of love we're talking about here. This is the only place in the book of Romans where Paul writes about us loving God. All the other places in the book of Romans is about God loving us. We have been called according to his purpose. Let's remember, <clears throat> and this is important. Let's remember that God's purpose for his son was to die, right? To die in our place so that we could be redeemed to the Father. God's purpose for you and I is to come to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, to be called heirs of God and co-heirs with Jesus Christ. That is our purpose. That's why Jesus came and died and rose again and sits at the right hand of the Father. It's so that we could come to know his Son as our Lord and 
Savior. That is our purpose. So because of my love for God and because of his calling on my life to be a child of his, I have an inner confidence knowing that everything in my life, all things in my life, God can use for my good. With that kind of security, here are four simple things that you and I can trust in. I I know this is in your notes. Four simple things that you and I can trust in. When we take that verse and we say, yes, Lord, this verse is for me. Number one, you don't ever have to question if God is for you. Now, sometimes, y'all, I, listen, I'm going to be real. This is hard because there's, we're, we're feeble, right? We're, we're, we're finite people. We, we don't have this mind of Christ yet. And, and it's hard for us because sin gets in the way in our lives and selfishness gets in the way and pride gets in the way. And when you're going through a hard time, it's really sometimes difficult to say, okay, God, yeah, I sent you there. Man, you're walking with me. Listen, I know, I've been there. It's hard. Sometimes in life, to know that God is still there, that his promise to never leave me nor forsake me is absolutely how I feel at the moment. Or when I pray, you're wondering whether or not God is listening to my prayer along the way. That's real. And by the way, that's not too big for God, okay? Everybody hear me? He's not scared of that. But I want you to know that according to the scripture, you don't, have, you don't ever have to question if God is for you. Look at verse 31 there in Romans chapter 8. It says, what then shall we say in response to all these things? If God is for us, who can be what? Against us. If the creator of this world is for us, if God is for us, if he sent his son to die for me, man, what do I have to fear? Who in the world can be against us? And by the way, that's the way Paul lived his life, right? So when he went to prison, he didn't fear prison. He just said, man, this is another opportunity for me to share the gospel of Jesus, right? I'm going to be in prison, so that guard right over there, he's going to get saved. It was all good. What God has done for us through his son in the past and what he is doing for us through the spirit in the present should, without question, give us a hope and a confidence. Listen, if I was willing to give you a kidney, I've got two of them. All right, I think. We got two? Yeah, I got two. If I'm willing to give you a kidney, hopefully it's, it's the better of the two, all right? My best kidney I got, so that you could live, would you ever question whether or not I cared about you? No. No. If somebody was willing to give me an organ of theirs to keep me living, you think I'd ever question whether or not they cared about me? No. That's what Jesus did when he sent his son. He sent his son to give you life. Why would we ever question whether or not he is for me? Number two, God is always at work in our lives to do whatever is necessary to conform us to the image of Jesus. Look at verse 32. It says, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? There's that word again. Listen, all things. Second Peter 1 says this, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. If God was willing to give up the most precious gift he had in his son, don't you think that he can do the impossible to see us look more like Jesus? Man, y'all, if I was willing to give my son so that somebody else could live, don't you think that there would be some expectations that go along this, in, in this path. That's right. 
<laughs> He's going to give it to us. He will use your job. He will use your friends. He will use your family. He will use your health. God may not have caused it, but he will use it for your good and my good. Everybody hear me? He will use it for your good and my good. Here's number three. The king of kings, Jesus, reigns in judgment and grace. Look at verse 34. It says, who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Paul has just given us more, more food for us to understand it's all good. Jesus is God's appointed judge who will condemn the unrighteous, but he will not condemn those that are co-heirs with him. Praise God, thank the Lord. My ugly life. By the way, if Paul says his life is nothing but a filthy rag, what is my life like? What is my life like? In view of perfection, of holiness, right? I'm nothing but a filthy rag as well. And yet, and yet, I have an advocate who's sitting at the right hand of the Father who is sitting there interceding for you and me. Paul gives four, in this verse, he says, there's four things that you can check off. Number one, he died for us and thus removed our guilt, right? Amen? Check the box. He rose from the dead and therefore has given those who trust in him eternal life. Yes, check the box. He has ascended to heaven to the position of supreme authority where he represents each of us. Yes, check the box. And he currently intercedes to the Father for your welfare and your benefit. Praise God, check the box. I can trust in him. Number four, because of Jesus, we have superhuman strength to conquer all things. Now, there is a difference between being a warrior and being Samson. Y'all remember Samson in the Old Testament? I was going to say Hercules. I said, yeah, let's, let's, talk about, let's talk about Samson, all right? There's a difference between being a warrior and being Samson. I mean, a warrior may be willing to lay down his life, but Samson, he, he, listen, he was more than a conqueror. He was, I mean, he would take the, the jawbone of, of an animal. I think he, I think he killed a thousand of his enemy with a jawbone. I mean, that's more than a warrior, right? That's more than just a soldier going out there. I want to be like Samson. I just don't want to be a regular warrior. I want to be somebody who's more than that. And because of Jesus, we have this superhuman strength to conquer all things. Look what he says here in starting in verse 35. Paul writes, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? He's kind of talking about himself right here, right? This is all, these are all things he's experienced. As it is written, for your sake, we face day, death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Look what he says in verse 37. He says, no, in all these things that I just mentioned, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I'm not just a warrior, I'm Samson. Okay? I, have, I have the spirit of God flowing in me. And he says, I am more, I'm just not a conqueror of these things. I'm more than that. I'm more than a conqueror. Verse 38, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah, praise God. Fold it up, drop the mic, and go home. 
if you could take that verse and live by that passage of scripture, my goodness, y'all, we could change the world. There was a 17-year-old boy. So a 17-year-old teen who came from a large family and he had many brothers. He had a father who loved him and he loved God. Even though he was honest and faithful, he was sold into slavery, accused of attempted rape and spent several years in prison. And remember, this, this kid loved God. He loved his family. He did it the right way. And yet, he was sold into slavery. He was accused of something he didn't do. He was put in prison. God restored his life. He put him in a position of influence where he would be able to face the ones that sold him into slavery and restore them into a right relationship. Don't you think those who sold him into slavery felt guilty about all that? And they carried that? His name was Joseph in the Old Testament. And as he embraced his brothers who had sold him into slavery, these are the words that are written in Genesis chapter 50. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. When he revealed who he was to his brothers, they were in absolute fear because he had the power to destroy them, power to kill them on the spot. They threw themselves down before him and they said, we are now your slaves, Joseph. But Joseph said to them, and live by these words, y'all. Don't be afraid. I am, in, am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Y'all, listen to me. Whatever you go through in life, whatever that is, there is this part of this, if we just get away from ourselves and say, okay, God, what are you trying to teach me through all this? That part of this is God wants you to make an impact in somebody else's life because of what you're going through. That's what Joseph did. Now, we don't read about him pouting and he stayed faithful and God restored him. Here's my impact point and we're gonna be done. Don't ever ever, ever, ever. Okay, everybody got that part? Okay, do I have to say it again? Don't ever rob God of the glory that comes from his gospel of grace, which is Jesus Christ. And how do we do that? How do we rob God of his glory of grace in Jesus Christ? We do that, we rob God when we blame him for our circumstances. When we give up and say, there's no way, Lord... You can't. And when we stop worshiping the one true God, that's when we begin to rob God of this glory of his grace through his son, Jesus Christ. Because he sent his son to destroy all those things in your life that you look at and you go, oh, they're horrible. 1 John 4, 4 says, you dear children are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in this world. I don't know what you're going through. I do know this. Paul says it's all good. You may not feel that way. You may be sitting there today and say, hey, Rick, my circumstances are different. No, they're not. No, they're not. 
Because we serve the one true God who takes all those circumstances and says, Rick, I will work those for your good because you love me and you have been called to my purpose. And we can grasp that and hold on to that and live by that. I want you to know we will change everything around us. We'll change everything around us. We're going to have a time of invitation. And I'm going to pray. And listen, I want you to look at this as an altar. Your seat can be an altar. This can be an altar. I I don't know if it's difficult for you to thank the Lord for what you're going through. But this is what I'm going to ask you to do today. If you're going through some difficult times, I want today for you to let go of that. And thank the Lord that he's going to use this in your life for your good. You don't know how. You don't know when it's going to take place. Just like the testimony we heard earlier, it's on God's timing. But when we begin to thank him for that, my goodness, it's easier to live life.